My last year at Southern Adventist University, I made the decision not to play as many sports. Uh, I needed to focus on some other things. I also needed to work and raise some money. So I had a job and I, it interfered with some of the sports. And then I decided though I still wanted to be around the sports. And so I signed up to officiate uh, basketball games. It was actually one of the better paying campuses, or paying jobs on campus. I remember $8 a game, which uh, seemed like good money at the time. I did about four games a week. But I would officiate and referee and umpire various sports throughout the year. And at the end of the year, they had this assembly. It was the awards assembly. And uh, I was there at the awards assembly. I was told that I needed to show up. I didn't know the reason why I was being asked to show up, but I was told I needed to show up. And they announced that I didn't get any academic award. Sorry, your pastor has never won any academic award ever. Uh, but they announced the outstanding sports official of the year, Chad Stewart. And as I was walking to the front to receive the reward, the thought went through my mind, I really hope the younger kids here know that I can actually play. <laughs> because you see, I will admit that I was slightly embarrassed for this award because I had come to believe, and I will tell you that I still believe it somewhat, that oftentimes the best and most knowledgeable officials, referees, umpires, whatever it may be, are not the best athletes. There's a reason why they're officiating the championship game and not playing in the championship game. The old adage that you've heard in society, those that can do and those that can't teach, right? You've heard that before? Has anyone heard that before? We don't want to pick on any teachers or anything, but we've heard that adage before. Well, in sports, there's a similar one. Those that, that can play, play, and those that can't, officiate. And so I thought in my mind, please help these kids know that I can actually play this game. The umpires and the officials and referees have to know the rules, the ins and outs of the rules and the sport better than anyone else. But no one watches a sporting event and says the pinnacle of this event is the knowledge of that umpire. No one watches a sporting event and says, man, the pinnacle of this event is how well that referee runs up and down the court. Those that watch, they, they look at the game and they, they see the athletes, the ones that, that, that put their skills into this action. Is it possible that in Christianity, that we have placed a higher value on the knowing of something over the actual doing of something. The ability to, to know something about something, we place a higher value on that than, than those who actually do the thing in which we are called to do. I believe we have done this, and I want to explore that today. If you'll open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke book of Luke chapter 11, and while you're turning in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 11, I'll tell you a quick uh, illustration to, 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 to demonstrate why I believe this has become a reality within Christianity. And I'll pick on my own profession, I'll pick on my own profession to, to make this point. When I was finishing up, I was a junior at Southern, and I was, we did interviews with various conferences for jobs, I was offered a call, I was offered uh, the opportunity to become a pastor before I had ever actually led anyone to Jesus. 
In fact, I received three different invitations to pastor in various parts of the United States before I had even given my first one-on-one Bible study. Shortly after I received those invitations, I did give my first Bible study. It was to my little sister. And I went through a series of Bible studies with my little sister. And at the end of those studies, I said to my little sister, I said, so Aaron, do you want to get baptized? And she said, nah. (laughs) Nah. Yet I still had a job as a pastor. James White was one of the founders of the Adventist Church and the husband of Ellen White. And he once said this, speaking of those who, who, who desire to be pastors, if he be successful in raising up churches and establishing them so that they bear good fruits, he gives to his brethren the best proofs that he is sent of the Lord. If they, those who desire to be pastors, cannot raise up churches, then certainly the cause of truth has no need of them. And they have the best reasons for concluding that they have made a sad mistake when they thought that God called them to teach the third angel's message. It is a good thing that James White wasn't around when I was interviewing with those conferences. It's a good thing that he wasn't around in this day as well because we continue to do it in this way. In my day and still in this day, the committees, and I've sat on some of those committees, we deem Men or women that desire to be pastors, we basically analyze them based on what education level they have ascertained to. Not because of of what they've done or the actions that they've done, but what did their professors say about them? What grades have they gotten in school? Where did they go to college? It's an elevating of knowledge over actual action. And this type of hierarchy on a knowledge-based maturity, maturity, analyzing someone based on knowledge over an action-based maturity has trickled down from the pastors right into the pews and into the hearts of the people. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, which Mayellen read at the end of her uh, children's story. Jesus spoke these words. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it, and obey it. God desires us, for not, us not just to have knowledge, but for us to then obey and respond to that knowledge in which we have. Now, as I move to this, through this sermon, I just want to pause quickly here. As I move forward, I want to pause to say two things to, to two different groups of people. First of all, I want to share with those of you that may already think I'm, I'm knocking education or knowledge, I am not. I'm not in any way knocking the need to get an education, the need to to gain more and more knowledge. I I, I affirm the scriptures that talk about our need to understand and to know the word of God. This is important. In the next year, I'll be beginning uh, the process of pursuing my doctorate in ministry. So, So I affirm getting more knowledge. So don't hear me denigrating knowledge. Secondly, I want to say this to those of you that that may struggle with this tension between uh, works and grace. Some of you that may be in here that have not yet received Jesus or accepted Jesus or, or your hearts have not fully surrendered to him. 
I want you to hear that that's not going to happen by you working harder and you doing more. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 and 24 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every one of us in here, no matter how knowledgeable we are or unknowledgeable we are, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then the Bible tells us in verse 24 that we are all justified or made right. In other words, we're saved by, and I like the way the English Standard Version says it, by the grace of God, which is a gift, is a gift. And this is done through the redemption of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So I want you to hear me now. We're going to talk about works and obedience and and service and doing some of these things today. And, and I don't want you to leave here thinking that, that this is the way we gain honor or glory with God. The Bible says we're not saved by our works, by our good deeds, by our obedience, by our service. We are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. And that can happen right here. You might have been disobeying all the way up until this moment right now. And you say, Jesus, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want you in my heart. And boom, just like that, you can have salvation. That's how amazing grace is. It is immediate. It is immediate. But... We're talking today about how after that step of salvation, how we grow in spiritual maturity with Jesus Christ. We're talking about maturing in Jesus. And we have created a system of knowledge-based maturity that if you know enough, then you are deemed mature enough within the church, spiritually mature. Even though the Bible actually affirms the process of obedience-based maturity. That obedience is the process of gaining and growing in spiritual maturity. Two parables very quickly to illustrate this point. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 verses 28 through 32. And this is Jesus sharing these parables with us. Matthew chapter 21 verses 28 through 32. And Jesus says in this parable, what do you think? Someone, some teachers and priests of the temple have asked Jesus some questions. And Jesus tells them, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, go work in my vineyard. And this son said, I will go, sir. But then afterward, he did not go. Jesus then asked these leaders of the temple, these leaders of the church, which of these two did the will of his father? And the leader said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, in other words, even when you you understood the truth, even when you had it revealed to you, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. That's the first parable. Now, the second parable that I want us to look at is one that is maybe more familiar to some of you, and that's found in the book of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10, verses 20 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 20 through 37. Again, 
a lawyer, a teacher, someone has come to interrogate Jesus on his understanding of right and wrong. And he asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And, or what does the scripture say? And, and, and the lawyer answers him. And then Jesus gives this response. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, and let's recognize a priest would be someone that would be very knowledgeable, very understanding in the word of God. A priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, a Levite would also be very knowledgeable and understanding of the word of God. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Now the Samaritan, in the eyes of the Jews, would not be as knowledgeable as the priest and the Levite. In fact, the Samaritans were, were deemed as less than. They were, they were seen as, as, as living in air and living in untruth and, and, and sin. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, the Samaritan took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of this man, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then asked this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? In other words, which of these three do you think is living more in accordance with the counsel of God amongst these three robbers? The man who was trying to trap Jesus said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. In both of these parables, Jesus is speaking to people, chief priests and elders and lawyers, who have a knowledge, a, a deep knowledge of the things of God and the word of God. And in both stories, Jesus contrasts those that have knowledge, a priest, a Levite, the first brother who represents the elders and the teachers of God's law, with those that don't, a prostitute, a tax collector, a Samaritan. And the conclusion of each story is this that those with less knowledge show more spiritual maturity and spiritual understanding by what they do than those that have more knowledge. Their maturity is not based on what they know, but based on doing God's will. Based on doing God's will. Let me package this point in a different way, in a way that maybe will be more hit home more. According to the Bible... According to the Bible, the person that sits in this room right now, sits in the south porch, sits on this wing over here, the, the people that sit in this room week after week, hearing teachers' teachings from Scripture week after week, hearing songs that speak to us truth, hearing prayers that speak to us truth, the person who sits in here week after week and says, amen. Yes, I agree with that, and walks out the door and does not do anything with that truth is less mature spiritually than the person that walks in here for the first time, hears something, and walks out the door and does what they heard. That's what the Bible's teaching. You can hear something every single week, and you can say, I agree, I affirm, 
amen, I love that sermon, I love that song, I love that prayer. You walk out the door, you do nothing. You have less spiritual maturity than the person that comes in one time, hears the truth, and walks out the door and does it. Maybe we put it like this. A person that has maybe only 30% understanding of truth, but obeys 90% of that truth, is more mature spiritually than the individual that understands 90% of God's word, but only obeys 30% of what they know. Only obeys 30% of what they know. Even though that 30% may still mean that we're doing more than the person that is doing 90% of what they know because they know so little, they still, in the place where they are at, are more spiritually mature. They are more in line with the will of God than we who know so much but walk out and do nothing with it. They walk out and do nothing with it. We don't grow in maturity by knowing more We grow in maturity by doing what we know, by action. The best way is that as soon as I learn something, I go out and I do that something. That's the best way to grow in anything, not only in in, in any and every way, but including in the church. I learn something, I immediately go out the door and I do it. I say, God, help me to live in that way of what I just learned. My middle son, Landon, right now, is learning how to dribble between his legs. He's actually doing a decent job. He can't like walk like this with it, but he's learning how to dribble between his legs. I've shown him some videos of people dribbling between their legs and how to dribble between your legs, where to put your feet, because I believe this is an important life skill that I need to teach my son. (laughs) So I've actually shown him these videos. Now, if I show Landon these videos and then I say to him, okay, we watched the video, Now let's go do something else. I never put a basketball in his hands. We never walk outside and try to do it. Does Landon ever actually grow in his basketball skills? He has the knowledge, put your foot here, put your hands here, do this. But he doesn't actually, can't actually do it because he's never done it. If he doesn't watch the video and then go outside into the driveway, pick up his ball and try to do it and fail and try to do it and fail and try to do it and fail, he'll never get better as a basketball player. We all understand this. And yet as a church, we have placed the value on knowing and we define that sometimes as maturity. How many of us have sat in, 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 in nominating committee meetings? Don't raise your hand. But how many of us have sat in nominating committee meetings or other meetings and we've, said th- we've heard things said like this? You know, this person's been a member here for a long time. They're a good person. They know what we believe. They understand who we are as a church, as a people. You know, I think we should make them an elder. I know some of you have heard that because I've heard it Here. In this church. Or what about this one? You know, we really need to get this person involved. Why don't we make them a deacon or an elder? They know. They've been here long enough. What have have we done? We've created a system in which knowledge matters, but not actually any action or any doing. But we learn by actually doing. You know, It's amazing how almost all new believers understand this kind of naturally. 
New believers, they, they, there's something about this that they understand naturally. When I first accepted Jesus back in 1996, the very next day I went to my chapel and I said, I want to be involved. There was just something in me. Like I, I, I discovered, I realized for the first time that Jesus loved me, that, that he died for me, that he saved me. And my immediate reaction was, I want to do something. I want to serve. That was probably the most mature I ever was spiritually in my entire life. It's just been kind of a struggle since then. I saw Michael Rouser here on the front row in first service. He is one of our deacons now. We didn't baptize him that many uh, years ago, I think just a couple years ago. But Michael Rouser, uh, before he even got baptized, we were, he, he said, Pastor, can I have breakfast with you? And so I took him to breakfast. We went to expectation. And Michael was telling me about how, what God had been doing in his heart. And you know what he said to me? How can I be involved? How can I serve? The, the, God had gotten a hold of him and, and he wanted to do something. But some reason, somewhere along the way, we, we understand that initially, but then along the way, we get to that place where we say, okay, I need to know more. I need to learn more. I need to learn more. I need to learn more. We'll go to people and we'll say, hey, can you give a Bible study? They say, well, pastor, man, I don't know enough to give a Bible study. You've been sitting in church for 45 years. You can give a Bible study. The formula of the Bible is we learn and we do, and then we grow in maturity. Not we learn, 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 grow in maturity. If you leave out the doing, you will never grow in maturity. We learn, we do immediately, and we grow in maturity. Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16, which Kenry read this morning so well. I appreciate that, Kenry. The Bible says, so Christ gave himself Gave, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service. The whole point that God gave people in the church, like pastors and elders and leaders of the church, is so that the people could learn something in order to do work, in order to do something. And the Bible says that then the body of Christ may be built up until we all, that's individually, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's that word. We have people in our lives to teach us something so that we can work, and the working then brings about maturity. Not just the learning, the working brings about maturity. The Bible says then, at that point, we'll no longer be tossed like infants back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you've wondered, why am I still struggling with this? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you thought like, I believe this for years and now I'm starting to doubt it. Could it be that you've never actually worked with what you've learned? You've never actually worked with what you learned. And so over time, you haven't seen the blessing of it. You haven't seen the fruits of it. And so now I'm suddenly starting to doubt it. The Bible says you learn, then you work. And that's how you overcome the cunningness of the devil. That's how you grow out of infancy. Verse 16, from him, the whole body joined and held together. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Look at the formula. We learn from others. We then do what we've learned and in the body of Christ and individually as well, we are built up into maturity. We learn or we believe. We do. We act. We serve. We obey. And then we mature. And then we mature. Action, listen to this. Action without total knowledge is still a value for maturing in your spiritual walk. Action without total knowledge 
is still of value for maturity in your spiritual walk. But hear this. Total knowledge without any action is of no value at all. Total knowledge without any action is of no value at all. Even Satan and the angels believe, the Bible tells us. If I can go back to the sports analogy I began with. The knowledge of the officials, of the umpires, of the referees definitely helps to strengthen a sporting event. But we all know this. We all know this that have played sports and that have seen sports. You can play a basketball game without a referee. You can play a baseball game without an umpire. You can play a football game without an official. Ron, you can play a hockey match without having a referee out there. You can play a round of golf for my golfers without having a rules official on the course. But guess what you can't do? You can't play golf without a golfer. You can't play baseball without a baseball player, without baseball players. You can't play hockey without hockey players or, or basketball without basketball players. No matter how much the referee knows, his knowledge is not going to get that ball through the hoop. You need the players in order to play the game. And folks, it's no different in the church. No matter how much we know, the church is not actually a church unless we get up out of the seats and we go out and we do what we've learned. The formula, we learn and we do. And then we grow and mature in Christ. You learn and you learn and you learn and you learn and you never do, you'll never grow. We learn, we do, we grow in Christ. Let us be a church full of athletes with a lot of knowledge, but athletes nonetheless, so that we truly will be the church. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the clear formula you teach us in scripture that, that we grow through obedience. And Lord, we know that you are the one that empowers us to obey and to do. So Lord, I pray that you will help us in our busyness, in our lives, help us to find the space to do what we already know we should be doing. And Jesus also help us to have the desire in our hearts, not just to amen in a church or nod in agreement in a church or appreciate the beauty of a service, but help us to have the desire to get up, to get out there and to play the game for the glory and the kingdom of God. In your name we pray, amen.